Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Big thanks to Spark Bites for sponsoring today's episode. Find out more about this great prebiotic snack at sparkbites.net. I'm just going to launch right into my <laughs> hardship, my love-hate relationship with the hunger. I was going to say, meal. this is really your wheelhouse of you love to talk about this. So maybe you should start. I do. I do. I do love it because I think one of the things that bothers me the most about the hunger and fullness scales, one, okay, I love the hunger and fullness scale because I think it does bring a lot of language to something that a lot of people don't know how to talk about. Like people don't know really what their body is telling them. And I think it can be a really impactful tool for learning the language of your body when used strategically. Um, But what happens I I find more often than not is that it's not provided with enough context and language for people to be able to utilize it effectively. And so then what ends up happening with it, unfortunately, is that it's used as like either a permission slip or a restrictive and kind of tendency to like, oh, if I don't fall within this range within the hunger fullness scale, then it's not okay for me to eat at this time or vice versa. But before we like, I jump into all of the problems I have with it and what I like. <laughs> And what I don't like about it and what, how I use it a little bit differently that I encourage everybody to use it is I think we should talk about what it is first. So for those of you, yeah, for, for those of you who don't know the hunger and fullness scale, it's an incredibly useful tool that's, that was derived from, um, the intuitive eating book. And it really rates your hunger and fullness from zero to 10 with, you know, four or five being the most neutral stomach. And then going lower would be more increased hunger and the signs of increased hunger down to full blown, like, um, um, like, like famine, like really like extreme hunger. And then all the way up to like over full stuffed and being uncomfortably full, like all the way up to there would be like the 10. And it's often used in intuitive eating in order to help people being able to understand one, when they're hungry and when they're satisfied, because a lot of times in the history with diet, when you have a longstanding history with dieting, in restriction and or binge eating, you don't really have a good sense of your internal mechanisms for knowing when you're hungry and then when also you're satisfied too because they've been so heavily suppressed. And really what this is, is just a way to kind of bring back into into your like mental warehouse and like understanding and hearing 
your own natural um, hunger and fullness cues that our body naturally has. We already have these hormones and regulations that help us know, but it's been so heavily suppressed and or deviated from. Like if you think about it, we're continually told to ignore our hunger and that hunger is a good thing. Some of my clients will tell me that like, they've been taught that feeling hungry is good um, because of their dieting relationship and that history. And so the hunger and fullness scale is was designed in order to help people be able to get back to this place where they can understand what their body's needs are and being able to respond to them. Everything I just said, is exactly why it's a wonderful tool. Like it is a wonderful tool. It's supposed to be used this way. Um, but Dana, do you have anything you want to share about it or do you want me to keep, <laughs> keep going? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, you know, the, I think a really important thing to remember about this, and we talk about this all the time is intention, right? So a lot of these different tools that we've talked about, even, you know, neutral nutrition, intentional eating, stuff like that, it all comes down to intention. And this is going to be a big uh, component of what we talk about in next week's episode as well. Um, but so when you think about the intention of using the hunger fullness scale, it's really like Christina was me mentioning, like a tool to help us identify the different signals that our body may be sending us and associating those with hunger. Because for a really long time, especially when you come from a heavy history of living in a diet culture world, disordered eating, eating disorder, hunger, a lot of the time, especially in the environment, if you grew up in the 90s, it's like hunger was associated as like a good thing, right? It's like, oh, if I'm, if I'm hungry, I'm losing weight and that's a good thing, right? So then we kind of learn to distrust our bodies and say like, oh, you're hungry. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. Oh, oh, you're hungry. That's a good thing. And then we kind of repress those hunger signals because we don't want to lead that hunger to eating, right? So in a sense, this is kind of a tool that you can use to reinvigorate, reinvigorate that trust with your body, learning the language of your body, as Christina talks about all the time. And it's really like a guidepost of a kind of neutral observer tool of like, okay, I'm noticing, you know, grumbling my stomach or I'm noticing this. Oh, okay. I know now, and you know, granted you kind of use your, you use yourself as like an N equals one science experiment of like, let's gather some data and then you can get yourself as like a data point on that spectrum of the hunger fullness scale, which then can be a tool used going forward of like, okay, I know if I'm seeing and hearing and feeling all the signals that I'm getting down to like a three or a two, like I need to eat soon or I'm going to faint. Right. So getting back in touch with those signals can be really, really helpful, but it all comes down to one intention and to the way that it is used, because as I'm sure Christina is going to immediately go into next, the way that this tool is used a lot of the time especially now when a lot of the kind of like diet companies and weight loss companies and everything have been co-opting the language of intuitive eating and anti-diet and body liberation and everything like that, but still to fit their weight loss kind of means and goals is they'll say, oh, if you just eat when you listen to your body, then you'll lose weight, right? Which is 
twisting the whole intention of the hunger fullness scale. This has nothing, the intention of the hunger fullness scale has nothing to do with weight at all, but they're basically like misconstruing it and using the tool in a totally different way, which really perverts it from its original intention of helping you try to get back into touch with your body. And it can lead to a lot of gaslighting yourself as well, which I'm sure Christina's going to get right into. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think also a major point too is how can you eat intuitively if you don't know what your body's asking for or if you don't hear it, right? I think that's a big piece of it. And I, I think for me, that's what I see to be one of the the biggest hurdles when using this with clients of mine, especially if they're heavy in an eating disorder or heavily restrictive or have a strong history with dieting and disordered eating, eating patterns, um, I will also note a lot of my clients don't identify with having eating disorders. Um, they have them. They just don't identify with having them. Um, but I think one thing that I think is important to kind of note here is that this tool can feel sometimes inaccessible to a lot of people when they're starting off in this journey because they have clients of mine have literally said to me before, well, if I listened to this and I listened to my body, I'm never hungry. Um, or clients of mine on the flip side would say, if I listen to this, I'm always hungry. So I don't really know how to discern how, like where I fall on this spectrum of the hunger and fullness scale and how to then respond to my body. If I don't feel like my body's telling me accurately what's going on. And so one of the reasons why it can be really difficult when a practitioner hands over a client the hunger and fullness scale without explaining to them how it can be utilized for them and the language that they can pull from with using it, it can feel kind of like, well, what do I do with this? Like, this doesn't help me. I don't know what to do with it. Or this is really great in theory, but in application, it doesn't apply to me, or I don't know how to adequately adequately use this. So one of the ways that I find to be really helpful when using the hunger and fullness scale is to step away from the physical hunger cues and, and satisfaction cues that your body gives you and think more from a more mental anxiety type of standpoint too, and your thoughts around food and what's coming up for you. And I find that to be a lot more accessible to clients more often than it is with saying like, oh, listen to what your body's saying. Most of the time people are so disconnected from what their body is telling them that they don't feel like they can even really hear this. And so one of the ways that I use this is through describing and having my clients see how you can fall into a restrictive pattern and then also binge eating pattern in one day, like how it can happen on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis, utilizing the support of the hunger and fullness scale to bring awareness to your own patterns. And I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but one of the ways that I describe this a lot of times with showing the inconsistency with eating is through um, the idea of the mile marker eating and being able to talk about going on a hike and whether or not you have the tools that you need in order to, to, to support your body through a hike. And if you don't have a map, 
um, how the way that you interact with different stops along the way that have access to food is going to feel different depending on your how you kind of go about it um the tools that you have in support for that but that's like a whole nother topic but um but I think for me the the main piece that I find to be really challenging and that I think brings the most insight for people is being able to see more from a mental standpoint what the hunger and fullness scale can provide to you and what your thoughts and feelings about food actually can show you really clearly where you fall on the hunger and fullness scale while you're starting to reintegrate consistent eating and being able to eat regularly and do things like that too, or being able to just allow all foods to fit without even the threat of future restriction can play a big role, big role in that as well. But I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but I think I am. Like, I think it's hard to not to explain it completely without being able to see the visualization of the hunger and fullness scale kind of in front of you, but maybe we can provide it as like a download that you guys can have and you can see it. Yeah. We'll put it um, on a uh, Patreon. Yeah. That you can get it. Oh yeah. Good idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. We have that thing. <laughs> oh yeah. That thing. Um, but one of the things that I think what I'd like for people to be able to get from this episode specifically around the hunger and fullness scale is how it can show you and you can google it i mean you can google hunger and fullness scale and it will come right up like you'll be able to see it but But um, we have our own (laughs) but we have our own and i have a lot of language around it like for each piece around where you might fall and i fall i utilize a lot of more of the mental cues more than i talk about physical cues of hunger um to be able to help clients of mine be able to to start to identify where they might be falling. So as an example, I have a client of mine who's like, I don't feel any hunger cues or I'm always hungry. Um, and I feel like I constantly am always eating. And, um, but it was interesting because they said, I just feel like I'm constantly thinking about food. Raise your hand if you can identify with that. (laughs) But, um, they said they always feel like they're constantly thinking about food and, but they were provided a hunger and fullness scale, um, from a therapist of theirs at one point or another, or maybe they pulled it off, um, in the intuitive eating website or something like that, but it didn't have enough of a description for each area for them to be able to identify with it. And so what we did was we talked about how extreme hunger, um, one of the signs of extreme hunger is thinking about food. And so once we talked about that, that helped them realize like, okay, I'm not feeling physical hunger, but I'm seeing mental cues from my body that are actually telling me that I am hungry because I'm thinking about it all of the time. And so when we were able to do that, we were able to show how quickly you can go from kind of irritable and like having headaches or feeling like you're constantly thinking about food, planning your next meal, obsessing over it, thinking, analyzing the last meal that you had, all the different things that you're feeling, you're actually feeling kind of ravenous and painfully hungry, like just really, really, you're in a really strong hunger state. 
And what can happen was when you go into a meal so ravenous that you can easily jump to painfully full because you'll go and eat something and then you'll eat, you know, ravenously. And like, we've talked about it before, like scavenger eating where you're just like, like picking out everything and nothing, nothing quite, quite as satisfying, then you can really quickly fall into and swing like on the pendulum on the other side to all of a sudden feeling painfully full and not being able to fully identify okay, there's a time when I'm in the middle or there's a time earlier on when I might feel the start of hunger or I've never fully satisfied my hunger. I've never provided it enough in order to really feel fully satisfied. So I'm constantly thinking about food. And so I find that to be when I've worked with clients around this is that that's the most helpful tool for them. And I find that the hunger and fullness scale when not provided in this way, it's kind of missing a really great opportunity for you to be able to see in real time how restriction can lead to kind of binging like behaviors. Because even if it's unintentional, right? Like not every time that we restrict food, it's intentional. Sometimes we, we have ADHD and we forget to eat, or we get really hyper-focused on a task, or we have a ton of meetings in the morning and we don't prioritize eating. And then all of a sudden we're starving and we're going into lunch and we're eating everything we can possibly get our hands on because we're so hungry. And then we're feeling completely stuffed and full and not feeling like we're getting sad. Like, you know, all of a sudden we feel completely stuffed and how that can feel kind of bingy. But it helps you kind of be able to see really quickly how when we're not eating consistently and regularly and completely throughout the day, how you can quickly lead from one side of the spectrum to the other side. And I think that's a real opportunity lost when the hunger and fullness scale is presented to people um, because- just like, here's your piece of paper do it. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, well, how do you expect someone to ever know how to do this if if the whole the whole concept for your entire dieting life is to turn away from every single internal cue that you have, you're you're supposed to ignore it. You're supposed to suppress it. You're supposed to like they literally say, distract yourself from eating. Drink a glass of water instead. Like you're probably mm -hmm. thirsty. Like all of these types of things are pulling you further and further away from your being... body's like, no, we're hungry. Please just listen to us. I and know. You're like, no, I'm not going to do that today. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can survive longer. Meanwhile, we could then they come see us and they're like, oh, I'm obsessed with food. I'm like, no, girl, you're hungry. Like, <laughs> you're not obsessed with food you're hungry like you're not addicted to this you, you need to eat something um and I think when I when you use the hunger and fullness scale in this way I think that it's like the fast track to really seeing that really clearly because every client that I've done this with when they have used this in this way and then was able to see like, oh, wow, I'm eating more consistently and I'm thinking about food less. I'm feeling less obsessive about it. It's immediately this, okay, I get it. Now I can use it in this way. And it makes it a lot more accessible while your body is getting retrained to share with you the hunger 
pains that you might have or the grumbling of the stomach because it, it's been so um, suppressed for so long. And so I think that that's to me why I feel like the hunger and fullness scale can be really awesome. And also when utilized in fairly strategic ways. And now a quick break for a word from our sponsor, Spark Bites. So you all know that we talk about gut health a lot on this podcast. So today I wanted to talk about a great way to help promote a healthy balance of gut bacteria without the need for supplements. Spark Bites are a great on-the-go, top eight allergy-free, gluten-free, and plant-based snack packed with prebiotics from gluten-free oats, greens, and seeds. They're also local to me, Dana, and made right in Alexandria, Virginia, which is super cool. So while probiotics are the organisms that we might take in supplemental form or get from fermented foods, yogurt, kombucha, et cetera, to help support the balance of bacteria in our gut, prebiotics are the food that we can provide to help the beneficial bacteria in our gut microbiome flourish. So prebiotics can help you have more regular and pleasant bowel movements, have less bloating and promote digestion and nutrient absorption. Spark Bites pack a combination of prebiotics and other nutrient-dense foods and are available in six different flavors. Cinnamon, which is my favorite, chocolate chip, coffee, red beet, matcha, and turmeric. And if you want to learn more, you can find Spark Bites at www.sparkbites.net and they can also be found on Amazon. And now back to the show. I want to talk about another aspect of this that's kind of like another layer, right, is when you are able to move from like the prerequisites of the hunger fullness scale to like the 203 level, 300 <laughs> level of the hunger fullness scale, right? Is there, because we all have this history of dieting or disordered eating or eating disorder, there's this other level of like, wait, that can't be right. <laughs> like you're, <laughs> when you're starting to notice like, oh, these are the signs that my body is giving me, whether it's mental, emotional, physical, whatever it is of hunger, Sometimes you're like, okay, I, I just ate lunch. Like, I can't be hungry right now. I, I can't I can't still be a three, right? Like, or yeah. I shouldn't, right? Yeah. Like, I shouldn't be here. And a lot of this is realizing, like, your body is always just trying to send you signals to get you back to homeostasis or balance, right? If you have come from a really long time of restriction, whether it's intentional or unintentional, it's going to take your body longer to realize like, oh, we're, we're okay, right? We're not overcompensating anymore for a really long history of restriction, malnourishment, malabsorption for a lot of GI people, right? Um, and another part of this too is, I wanted to mention this before, is like there are so many reasons why people cannot do the just listen to your body thing Um, and we're going to get more into this on another episode that we've you know alluded to two weeks ago and a week ago but especially when we bring in because we talk about this all the time you know not just the learning to distrust your body your whole life because you're trying to control your body image control your hunger you're a part of diet culture and you know all these other things but when you have one or both of two things, right? And we talked about this on the episode with Jessica Brown about interoceptive awareness and autoimmune disease. If you have 
trauma early in your life, your interoceptive awareness, which means like your ability to interpret your body's signals automatically goes down, right? So that's another kind of wrench in the equation. And then when you have something like uh, chronic symptoms or an autoimmune disease or a chronic health condition or something like that, a lot of the time it feels like your body is kind of just betraying you or straying in a way that you don't want it to go. So you either learn to live with those symptoms, disassociate from them, or you're like, well, this is just the way that it is, right? Or for a lot of GI people, it's like, okay, well, (laughs) I might be hungry, but I know that if I eat something right now or the only things that I have access to are going to make me symptomatic and I don't want to do that, that's another form of feeling like you don't have the capacity to not only listen to your body, but trust your body's signals, right? So this is multi-layered that we really, really need to go into, which is why it's such a detriment if you have any practitioner, or most likely this is going to happen on, you know, social media because you can only receive pieces of information in very bite size. It's like, oh, the hunger fullness scale, like that sounds like a really great concept of like, yeah, I want to learn to listen to my body. And you're like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) Like how, how am I supposed to do this? And you can get very, very overwhelmed very quickly and then start to feel like you're in this, you know, no man's zone kind of scorched earth situation where it's like, well, this can't work for me, right? Like this could never work for me because I don't have the tools in order to use this tool which can make people feel like they're in the middle of nowhere and they don't fall anywhere. And then, and then you have the other layer that I mentioned before of all of these people who say that they're non-diet and say that they're, you know, whatever, but really they're not. And they're like, oh yeah, you can just use intuitive eating. And if you just listen to your body and you only ever eat when you're hungry, then you'll lose weight and blah, blah, blah. And you'll improve your relationship with food. Okay, bullshit. Like we, (laughs) first of all, I don't think these people even know how to use the hungerfulness scale. And they definitely don't know, either they don't know the original intention of it or they do, which is even worse because then they're twisting it into a way that it was never to be intended for. But I like to assume that that is not the case. (laughs) However, I'm sure there are people out there that are using it in that way too, which is just, uh, you know, taking advantage of people's vulnerabilities, which is not cool. No. To go back to something that you were saying earlier about how I can't possibly be hungry again, And, you know, I think that comes up with a lot of clients of mine too. And I think one of the things that can, this can feel very um, unsettling for a lot of people when they're first starting to utilize this, because there can feel this sense of like extreme hunger and feeling like, oh God, I I am always hungry or like, this is bad and this is going to spiral out of control. And one of the things that I want to gently remind people of is when you're going through this as well, not only are you learning to trust your body and its cues and relearn and learning its language, it's also learning to trust you too. (laughs) You know, like this is a two-way street. Your body is also learning that you're going to provide. Um, And if it has a history of it not being provided to, it can, it can then say, oh, snap, I'm getting provided. Cool. Let me make it very clear that I need a shit ton because I don't know when the next time I'm going to have anything, especially if that's your history, right? Especially if it's, you know, um, and sometimes I also want to make 
this known too. This isn't always intentional. A lot of my clients too, like it's not always intentional. Sometimes it just happens and it's accidental. And sometimes it's a a factor of neurodivergence. Sometimes it's a factor of medications that you're on or a combination of various different things. Maybe there is actual, like Dana was talking about too, like GI issues that are coming up that are influencing this as well. Autoimmunity that's leading to the, the feeling of scarcity with food and access to food when you're outside of your home and have less control over what's available. Like all of those things are valid and they still impact this without it necessarily being intentional with the idea of like, oh, I'm going to lose weight at the end of this. Like it's not always with that as the influencer, it can happen really subtly for a lot of different reasons, which is why I think the hunger and fullness scale is so awesome um, because it has vast universal you know, use for a lot of different types of people when we know how to use it. And so I think one of the things that I just wanna reiterate is when going back to this two-way street type of things, I like, dove into another thought real quick. Hello. <laughs> We're here. <laughs> um, but one of the things too, that I want to remind everyone of is that there is a two-way street here and that you're learning as much about your body as your body is learning a lot about you too. And being able to then say like, oh, wow, I do have access to food. I do have them providing to me. And it takes time for the body to then say, oh, okay, this is going to happen consistently and regularly. Thing, the tide is changing. I'm not in a pseudo famine, even though we don't think we're like causing a famine on our body. Our body can interpret it that way. Um, so I think that's one thing to kind of keep in mind. So if you're feeling those like, oh my God, I'm always hungry. Like I'm feeling it all the time. I think it's a really great opportunity for you to look at this from a perspective of, am I actually providing routinely and consistently? Am I providing my body with um, all the things that it needs? Or is there still some layer of, I can't eat all of this or I can't provide everything that it needs. And are you working with someone to help you support, like to support you in creating what that looks like for your body and to provide it so it can rebuild that trust? Because what that tells me when I hear that from clients of mine is that your body is still getting used to it. And it's still trying to know like, oh yeah, she's got my back or he's got my back or they've got my back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like all that's like a big piece of it. And I think that that can be really challenging for people because we are told so many times to distrust our body or we have a reason to feel like our body can't communicate with us effectively. And um, like Dana said, it's always trying to communicate and it is communicating with us. Um, and it's our job to honor it and listen and discern what it is that it's asking for and to provide it with the tools that it needs in order to go back to feeling safe, secure, and nourished. And for all of you that are stress cases out there, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> the fact of not knowing how to trust your body or your body not trusting you and not getting, you know, adequate nourishment, nutrients, everything is a 
major stressor on the body and contributing stressor to a lot of different things like hormonal imbalances, burnout, you know, everything like that. And if you are someone who's trying to work on your stress, one of the number one things that you can do is eat consistently and eat enough because providing enough nourishment for your body is extremely soothing to the nervous system, right? Predictability, basically. It's like if you are consistently trying to and learning how to provide adequate nourishment, nutrients, vitamins, minerals to your body on a regular, planned, and consistent basis, this is extremely soothing to the nervous system, and it's only going to do good things for you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, that's almost like wholehearted eating 101, (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, am I providing consistent and regular meals to my body every day um, in a predictable way? Like, to me is the number one thing. And I think the more you look at the hunger and fullness scale, and if you're part of our Patreon and you want to get access to it, you know, um, and you want to be able to see it, I think looking at it from from this lens of what is my mind telling me if my body is not talking to me? If I can't hear what my body is saying, what is my mind saying? Is my mind anxious? Is my mind overwhelmed? Is my mind thinking about things a lot? Is it thinking about food a lot? Is it feeling disconnected from my body? How can I get more at home in there and being able to listen a little bit more? And sometimes even thinking is my, so one of the things that I'll tell clients of mine too, sometimes is that, Sometimes we won't be able to, we might, hmm, what's the, how do I describe it? Like sometimes we don't necessarily feel what's going on in our body or even feel our anxiety, but we might be able to see that our physical selves are operating in a way. And then that can help us bring back to our mind. Like if you're thinking, an example would be, am I eating really fast? Like, am I eating really, really fast? And it's like, I'm grabbing a bunch of different things and it feels chaotic. Does my mind feel chaotic? What is my mind? Like watch your behavior, like your physical behavior, observe it and say, whoa, what is my mind doing right now too? Is it mirroring this as well? What can that tell me? Okay. I'm moving really fast. I feel like I have to eat something quick. I'm moving around the pantry really fast. I'm grabbing a bunch of different things. Can, what is that telling me about where I am? Could that tell me that I'm on this, where do I fall on this hunger scale? Am I really hungry? Is my body's chaoticness and my mind's fast movements and and thought processes be telling me that I'm not creating enough space to eat consistently? When, and then ask yourself, when's the last time I ate? When, you know, like when was the last time I had something to eat? Has it been a while? Like, Okay. Wow. Oh, the last time I ate was last night at eight o'clock and it's, it's now two o'clock. Well, it's time. <laughs> it was long past time. It's to been eat. time. <laughs> it's been time for a while. And so I think like, so that's one of the things that I'll tell people too, is that sometimes we might not be able to see it in our minds yet either, but we might be able to observe our behavior and then be able to say like, oh, well, my behavior is feeling a little chaotic. Is my mind feeling a little chaotic? What's going on in there? Can I take a second to breathe for a minute, see what's going on, observe what's happening? Where does this fall here? And then look back retro retrospectively and think to ourselves, okay, what's happened? 
what have I eaten recently? When have I eaten last? What did I have? Like, did I have anything? Like, did I just have a cup of coffee this morning? And I was like, oh, ready to rock. And I ran out the door or did I not have enough to eat? You know, what was going on? Um, and obviously that can also be a cue as well. Like your physical body's movements can also be a, a real cue for maybe how you're feeling internally too. Yes. So we are <laughs> sure that there will be many follow-up questions <laughs> to, to the topics that we've dived into today. So when, not if, but when you have questions, reach out, right? You can always find us at Wholehearted Eating Pod on Instagram, hello at wholeheartedeating.com. You can find either of us on Instagram. You can find me on TikTok now, eek. Um, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I know. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's a complicated topic as we tend to specialize in. It's very nuanced, right? So um, reach out when you have questions and we're happy to do a follow-up episode on this. Like we mentioned, we'll probably go deeper into detail on the Patreon in a bonus episode as well. And then, yeah, we will talk to you next week. Okay, hunger fullness. What the fuck do we do with that? <laughs> Find us on Instagram at Wholehearted Eating Pod. Find Dana at Dana Monsies underscore CMS. And find Christina at Christina Hoyt Nutrition. If you have any questions, any feedback, any comments on the episode, do send us an email at hello at wholeheartedeating.com, which is also where you can find more about our courses and our individual one-on-one client services. We also recently launched a Patreon for our show, which is a member-exclusive platform where you can pledge a small amount to help us support the podcast. And you, in turn, gain access to ad-free episodes of the show, monthly bonus episodes with Christina and Dana, after the episode deep dives with our guests, community episode discussions, listener questions, and bonus content shared only with our patrons, and so much more to come. Check out patreon.com slash wholeheartedeating, and of course, the link will be in the show notes. And that's it for today, friends. We'll see you next week.